The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. Hope a number of you had a great time at the carnival last weekend. This 41-year-old frame only made it about seven minutes in the dunk tank before I got hurt. But we do it for the children. So you're welcome. For those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, Justin. I get a privilege of serving as one of the pastors on staff here at Coram Deo. Uh, Wednesday, August 10th, 2022, was a day that my family had been living for. And by living for, what I mean is I, we knew that it was coming. Uh, we looked forward to it. We thought about it. We made financial decisions based upon it. Our schedule oriented around it. We prayed in light of it. It was a day we were living for. Going all the way back to the beginning of the new year, August 10th was marked on the calendar. As the day approached, we as a family made multiple trips to various stores around the city to ensure we had everything that we needed. Our family trip was planned around this day. We scheduled mother, daughter, and father, son overnights to try to get mentally and emotionally prepared for this day. We went through many walkthroughs and orientations to, know, to get a sense that we knew what we were doing, to calm anxieties, to set expectations. We adjusted our sleeping schedules. We practiced making lunches. We combed through and organized in great detail all of our supplies. We had been living for, you probably guessed it, the first day of school. Here's a picture of my crew. Uh, I wanted to share it with you because, well, who doesn't love back-to-school pictures, right? I mean, they're great. We've got a high school student now, two in middle school, two in elementary school. My wife, Tracy, and I welcome your prayers. And I do want to, I, 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 thanks, Kevin, for praying for students, teachers, administrators, particularly for those of you who are students in the room. Just know that we are so proud of you, and we are praying for you. Um, praying that the Lord would give you wisdom and courage this school year. The Bible tells us in the scriptures that God has determined all of our allotted times and dwelling places. He has you where he has you this year to live for his glory, and we're excited to hear what God's going to do through each and every one of you. Uh, as Pastor Bob mentioned last week, um, before we start our preaching series in the book of James, which will launch next Sunday, we are taking a couple weeks and a couple sermons 
uh, that are a little, to, to address things that are a little bit more pastoral in nature, uh, to speak to challenges that we're facing, questions, existential questions perhaps that we're asking. Uh, and last week I thought Pastor Bob preached an excellent sermon around the question, what do you do when life catches up to you? This week I felt burdened to ask the question, <clears throat> what day are you living for? What day are you living for? Because here's what I know about you, Coram Deo Church. Uh, the people of Coram Deo live life purposefully. You live life intentionally. Uh, many of you, not all of you, many of you are uh, goal-driven, achievement-oriented people. You live life with the end in mind. My question for you, though, is what is that end that you have in mind? What day are you living for? God's people throughout redemptive history, Old Testament and New Testament, have lived with a particular day in mind. And I'm talking about the day that was mentioned in our text this morning in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25. And I want to invite you, if you haven't flipped there yet, uh, to look at verse 25. It's on page 947 uh, of the Bible that's under your seat. And notice there, it says in verse 25, that we are to not neglect, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this morning, I want to focus our attention on this day that the text is talking about. And I want us to consider three questions together. What day is drawing near? Why don't we see it? And how can we live for it? What day is drawing near? Why don't we see it? And how can we live for it? So let's start at the beginning. Like I said, this day is one that God's people have lived for throughout all of redemptive history. The great Bible teacher Nancy Guthrie described this day that is drawing near this way. She said, there is a day spoken of throughout scripture, a day of divine intervention in human history. It is described by the prophets as a day of dancing, enjoyment, gladness, satisfaction, reward, healing, cleansing, and belonging. It sounds like a day to live for, and it is. But this is not all the Bible tells us about that day. It also tells us that it will be a day of humiliation destruction, retribution, distress, anguish, and ruin. Allow me to do a quick survey of biblical theology to show us that this day that is drawing near is a day that those who went before us lived for. It's the, it's the day that Isaiah lived for when he said, and the haughtiness of man shall be humbled and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. It's the day that Ezekiel lived for when he said, for the day is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. It's the day that Joel lived for when he said, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near and a destruction and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. It's the day that Obadiah lived for when he said, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, 
it shall be done to you, and your deeds shall return on your own head. It was the day that Habakkuk lived for when he said, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's the day that Zephaniah lived for when he said, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. It's the day that Malachi lived for when he said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. It's the day that Jesus told us to live for in Matthew 25 when he said, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And in Luke 12, when he said, Stay dressed for action, keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. It's the day that the Apostle Paul lived for when he said, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It's the day that Peter lived for when he said, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. What day is drawing near? It's the day of the Lord. It's the day that the scriptures over and over and over and over again encourage us to live for. Historic Christian theology understands the day of the Lord to have been inaugurated at the first coming of Jesus and ultimately will be completed at the second coming of Christ when God's will and God's purposes for mankind will be fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. Herman Bavink, in speaking of this day in redemptive history, says this, We are taught by the New Testament that the one coming of the Messiah, which was anticipated by the prophets, must be separated into a first and second coming. At his first coming, Christ laid the foundation, and at his second, he brings the completion of the building of God. The first is the beginning, and the second is the end of his works as mediator. So what do the scriptures tell us about this day of the Lord, this day that is drawing near. It tells us many things, right? Many things, but here's a few. The day of the Lord is a day of glory. We saw that the Old Testament prophets pointed to this, that it is a great and awesome day, a day when the knowledge and the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. It's a glorious day. We also know that the day of the Lord is a day of judgment where everyone will stand before God and give an account for the words that they have spoken, the desires they have cultivated, the deeds they have done, the resources they have stewarded. Everything on that day will be brought before God Almighty. Everything on that day. The things you've told yourself that no one will know, the things that you've told yourself that you will take to the grave with you on that day will be brought before God. There is no hiding on that day. Yes, even you, Christian, will give an account on that day. 
The gospel is not the good news that you get to skip ahead to eternal life and pick up $200 as you pass on your way there. No, the gospel is the good news that because of what Christ has done on the cross for us, we are now freed from the power of sin over us, and we are freed from the penalty of sin that we are due. But we still will stand before the Lord and give an account. Jesus took the punishment for our sins. That's the, that's the beauty of the, what Martin Luther, the great reformer, called the great exchange. That he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That before God, we can stand with confidence. We can stand with God if we are in Christ. We can stand with confidence in our faith. But it doesn't mean that you won't give an account for everything that you have done. So if you allow your Christian imagination just to, just to kind of breathe a little bit and you picture yourself standing before God with everything that you have done, thought, stewarded, laid out before God, on that day, if God was to ask you, what gives you the right to inherit the kingdom of God? Don't let us for a moment think that we can look at our resume and hope that our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds. The Bible is really clear in the book of Isaiah that even our good deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord. No, in that moment, when your entire life on that day is laid out before God, your only hope, your only confidence in that day is to point to the Son, Jesus Christ. Say it's because of him. He said I could come. He said he promised to prepare a room for me. That is the hope of the gospel. The day of the Lord is, is a day of glory. The day of the Lord is a day of judgment. We also see throughout scriptures that the day of the Lord is a day of fulfillment. When all of God's promises of redemption will be fulfilled. Every promise of God from his word that you stand on, that you hold on to by faith in this life, every single promise on that day will be fully realized and will be fully actualized. It's a day where all of God's people, just like we, we sung a moment ago, will feast in the house of Zion. And it's a day that is drawing near. So look back at the text here. Because one of the things you see in verse 25 is that in light of this day, it says 25, all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is a day that is drawing near, and it's a day that we should see. It's a day that we should be paying attention to. It's a day we should notice. So that begs the question, and that gets us to the second point here in the sermon. Why don't we see it? Why don't we see this day? Well, simply put, we don't see this day because we are living for different days. And other days eclipse the day of the Lord. I was provoked by this question, what day are you living for? just a couple of weeks ago. A few weeks back, our staff team did a staff retreat. We, we Airbnb'd a really nice colonial home just south of St. Joseph, Missouri. Beautiful country. If you haven't been there, you should really get there. Tongue-in-cheek. It was lame. But we were there. <laughs> and one morning, we got up. We gathered together as a staff team. And Pastor Bob led us through just a morning devotion. 
And he was reading one scripture passage after another about this day of the Lord. And he was reminding us that as we engage in ministry heading into the fall, as we're, as we're getting going for ministry, the ministry that we do is to be done with that day in mind. And all I could think of in that moment was that there are so many other days that I live for rather than the day of the Lord. Like, to go back to what Bob teed up last week, when life catches up to you, you find yourself just living for the next big thing on the calendar. Right? And life, for me, has caught up to me. There, this year alone, I have been pressed vocationally through work to take responsibility for a number of things that just stretch me as a leader. I've been stretched on the home front. I have an amazing wife who unfortunately struggles with chronic pain, lives with chronic pain. And we have five beautiful children who are great, but who are really active. And the home front takes a lot of energy. I, I joked, I ripped off a joke a number of years ago from Jeff, Jim Gaffigan uh, that said, hey, what does it feel like when you have five kids? And, and it, it, Jim Gaffigan says, it's like, it's like you're drowning in the ocean and someone tosses you a baby. That's what it feels like. <laughs> Which I was thinking about that joke, and I was like, well, what's it feel like to have five kids and now one's in high school? It's like, well, it's like you're drowning in the ocean and somebody just throws you a 14-year-old. Like, it's, it's just that complex, right? But I'm stretched at home. And, and this year, just like every year, being involved in local church ministry, I'm stretched relationally, facing faced challenges and, and carrying burdens for people and just walking through the difficulties of life. Life has caught up to me and I found myself this year just living for the next day, living for the next thing. If I could just get to the day where that sport or that activity is over, if I can just get to that day when that preaching series is done, if I can just get to that day when we leave on a family trip, if I can just get to that day when that ministry is up and running, and don't misunderstand me, those days are not bad days. But what I'm saying is that when I find myself just living for the next day and the next thing, those days begin to eclipse the day of the Lord in ways that, that affect my ability to see the day of the Lord. And my, and my attention, my affections are pulled off of different things and placed on those, on those things. Some of you can resonate with this reality, and I know this because I've sat with you and I've spoken with you, and I, I know you resonate with this, but let's be honest, it's not always just the tyranny of the urgent that distracts us. All of us have this longing within us for love, acceptance, worth, security. Like, we, we long for these things, and, and what happens is that we see a day somewhere in the future where, where perhaps one of those things can be satisfied. And rather than longing for and hoping in the day of the Lord, we hope for that, what feels like that nearer day. Living for the day you meet the one. Living for your wedding day. Living for the day where you have children. Living for the day when you have grandchildren. How about living for graduation? Living for the day of the big promotion. Living for the day when my hard work and commitment finally pays off. I have a unique opportunity uh, to serve as a chaplain for the Omaha Storm Chasers, which is a AAA baseball team 
here in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, and by what I mean by AAA, when it comes to minor league baseball, um, you're one step away from the major leagues. Like you're one phone call away from playing in, 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 in major league baseball. And every single man in that clubhouse is living for one day. That day they get the call. The day they get the call to say, hey, you're, you're being called up to Kansas City. And it's crushing for so many of them. Like when they're, when they're doing well, when they're succeeding, like they need people to notice. And when they're not doing well, when they're in a slump, right, the, the anxiety that they experience just rises up within them and despair begins to set in. It's crushing for so many of them living for that day. Again, for others of you, it might be different, right? Because life feels so hard, you might be living for days of comfort and security. This is where, this is where I'm tempted, right? Living for the day of being able to buy your first home. Living for the day of financial independence. Living for the day of retirement. So let me just ask you, what day are you living for? And in what ways does that day steal your affections and place your hope on things that will not ultimately satisfy what your soul is longing for? And in what ways does that day keep you from seeing the day of the Lord as it draws near? Again, I want you to hear me. I'm not saying that these days are bad. They're not inherently wrong. But what I'm saying is that on that day, on the day of the Lord, the things that we find ourselves living for right now are going to feel very, 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 very insignificant on that glorious day. The things that we're living for now aren't going to matter. We would be all served well, I think, to come before the Lord. Just to confess and just to acknowledge before God, before one another, the days that we're living for that are preventing us from seeing the day of the Lord drawing near and then asking the Spirit of God to renew our vision and to empower us to live for that day. Which brings me to the third point. How can we live for that day? What does it look like to live for that day? Look with me back at Hebrews 10. What does it look like for you and I to live for the day of the Lord? That's the question we're asking. And I think there are multiple answers to that question. I don't think the, that, that question can be answered comprehensively by looking at a few verses in the book of Hebrews. But the author of Hebrews does, after laying out the beauty and the awe of Christ's sacrifice for his people, bringing clarity to the gospel, he does give us a few admonitions on how we can live for the day of the Lord as it is drawing near. The first three admonitions encourage us to cultivate what 13th century Christian leader Thomas Aquinas would have called the theological virtues, what leaders maybe more commonly today call kingdom virtues, the virtues of faith 
and hope and love. Look with me at verse 22. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You live for the day of the Lord by cultivating faith, by pursuing God in worship, by pursuing God through study, by pursuing God in prayer. Verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You live for the day of the Lord by cultivating the type of hope in that day that will sustain you through difficult seasons and pull you into God's promised future. And then verse 24 highlights love. It says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. You live for the day of the Lord by helping one another cultivate a love for God and a love for one another. But I think it was verse 25 that really resonated with me. As, as I thought through what it looks like for us as a people to live for the day of the Lord. Again, it says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The word of God is telling us here that there is a strong, positive correlation between embodied Christians being together and encouraged Christians. Like when God's people actually gather together, encouragement happens. And you will never meet someone who is too overly encouraged in Christ. We all long for encouragement. One of the best things that Twitter has done for me in the last year was it introduced me to this short video that I keep watching over and over and over again. Uh, it's, 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 a pic, it's, it's a video of two young rugby players. And one of the rugby players is crying to his coach saying, they're, just, they're, they're too big, they're too old, I don't wanna play. And, and the coach is trying to calm him down, but then this other player, his teammate comes up to him and he says, he says, Bob, Bob, look at me, Bob. Look at me, Bob. He says, Bob, I, I am the smallest player out here. He says, Bob, Bob, it doesn't matter. Bob, I want you to look at me, Bob. Bob, look at me. He says, you're brilliant. You are brilliant. Like, you are, you are so fast and you are so quick. You are insanely good at rugby. You are insanely good. You're the best player at your age at rugby. You're insane. He says, come here, give me a hug gives him a hug, and the coach who's standing there says, best teammate ever. Best teammate ever. And I thought to myself, as I watched that the first time, I said, I need teammates like that, and I want to be a teammate like that. The, the beauty is, though, is that the kind of encouragement that this text is talking about and that the scriptures speak to among the people of God goes even deeper than just saying, you're brilliant. You're insane. Right? Gospel encouragement is not merely you're a great person, I like you. Right? Gospel encouragement connects us to the power that can only come from Christ alone. Gospel encouragement is the encouragement that Christ gives to his 
people. Gospel encouragement has its eye on and sees the day of the Lord drawing near and speaks to it with affirmation. Ray Ortland says it this way. He says, encouragement is what the gospel feels like as it moves from one believer to another. Encouragement is about the life-giving power of our shared beliefs and our shared life in the Lord. Now, if we are to be a people who truly encourage one another, we must cultivate the habit of meeting together. And some of you, not all of you, some of you, and it might even be some of you watching the video or listening to the podcast later on, you've cultivated the habit of neglecting to meet together. And we need to be honest about that. COVID did not help us. When you feel like life is catching up to you, it's easy to cultivate a habit of not gathering together. And as our church grows and goes from one season to the next, it can really feel like it's, it's not that big of a deal if I don't show up, if I'm not present in the room. And again, what happens is we cultivate this habit of neglecting to meet together. During the early years of Cormdale, when Cormdale planted 17 years ago, we met in a, in, a, in, a, in a small hall down in the old market. There was maybe 40, 50 of us. Some of you, some of you were there. And you remember those days when somebody didn't show up, if you weren't there, you noticed. Like you really noticed. Today, it's easy to think it's not that big of a deal. Who's going to notice? Does it matter if I'm there, if I'm in the room? And what happens is we begin cultivating this, this habit of not gathering together. Some of you, it causes you to ask the question, and I've heard this a few times, I don't, just, I don't even know where I fit. I don't know where I fit here. What, am I, what, what value do I bring? Well, according to the text, you fit as one who is to receive and to give encouragement in the gospel. And we are to do that together as a people, as the day of the Lord draws near. And it's not complicated, but it's important. It's essential. As we see the day drawing near, what it should do is it should make us want to meet together to want to be together and to encourage one another. And we should be motivated to do this all the more as we see the day of the Lord drawing near. You see, there's a reciprocal relationship at play here. Being among God's people and the people of God helps us to live for the day of the Lord. It's what we do every Sunday. And at the same time, living for the day of the Lord pushes us and helps us want to be with the people of God so that we can encourage them all the more as that day is drawing near. Friends, as I've prayed and thought about what maybe the Spirit would want to do among us as a people as we're heading into the fall, my longing for us as the people of Coram Deo is that we would just reorient ourselves once again, around the idea that the day of the Lord is drawing near, and it's closer now than it was when you woke up this morning.
the start of the fall. This is, it's a weird season because the start of the fall can feel, it feels a little bit like the new year, but it's just filled with so much chaos. Like the new year, like it feels like there's just some space built in, right? To think and to reflect. And the fall has this feeling like, man, the, it's, it's a new season that's starting, but there's just so much chaos going on that it's really easy to drift into finding ourselves living for so many other days. And because that day feels like it's far off, it just doesn't matter that much to us. And I want us to be mindful of the spiritual damage that that will do to our soul when we find ourselves living for another day and that other day begins to eclipse the day of the Lord. You can really evaluate the health of someone and the health of a community of God's people based on how much of a longing they have for that day. And I want us to be a people who live for that day, who long for that day, who, who have that day on our mind and who see it, who pay attention to it. There are a number of days that you could live for, but none of them is as significant, as important, as consequential as the day of the Lord. So let's allow that day to be a day that we live for. And as Hebrews 10 tells us, let us live for that day by cultivating the virtues of faith and hope and love. Let's live for that day by not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. And let's live for that day by encouraging one another all the more as we see that day drawing near. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get back to the Lord's table and worship. Gracious King Jesus, I'm convicted personally about the importance of reorienting my hope and reorienting our hope and our lives onto the day of the Lord. You've given us a living hope, a glorious hope, a certain hope for that day. You've made promises to us as your people that you alone can keep and that will be fully realized on that day. So in light of the day of the Lord that is drawing near, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with the necessity of gathering together so that we can bring regular and consistent gospel encouragement to those you put in our path. As the great day of your return approaches, a day of glory, a day of judgment, a day of fulfillment, help us to speak your words of life and hope and healing to those who need them the most. And strengthen our hands to bring your mercy and grace to bear in very tangible and timely ways. And I do pray, Holy Spirit, very specifically that you would put names and faces before us even this morning who need the encouragement you alone can bring, Jesus. And may the glory of the day of the Lord bring encouragement to us as your people. We pray this in your loving and good name. Amen.